0: This message comes from NPR sponsor Carvana. With thousands of options under $20,000, plus customizable financing terms and down payments as low as $0 down, it's easy to find a car that fits your lifestyle. Visit Carvana.com or download the app today. Terms and conditions may apply.
1: Every year, thousands of people flock to the French Riviera to watch movies, make movie deals, and see their favorite movie stars. At this year's 76th Cannes Film Festival, several of the industry's most acclaimed directors premiere their highly anticipated films. Among the titles this year are Martin Scorsese's Killers of the Flower Moon and Wes Anderson's Asteroid City. The festival is also unfolding amid a backdrop of social and political unrest in France and a Hollywood writer's strike now in its third week. So how are critics responding to the film's showing in Cannes? What's standing out? And what does this moment in film history mean for the uncertain future of the film industry itself? We'll take a closer look at the good, the bad, and all the in-between with our guests who join us from the south of France. I'm Jen White. You're listening to the 1A Podcast, where we get to the heart of the story. We'll be back with more after this quick break. Stay with us.
2: Is it possible to engineer our way out of the climate crisis? some entrepreneurs want to shoot particles into the stratosphere to combat global warming. Experts say regulations on this technology aren't keeping up. The world of solar geoengineering on the latest episode of The Sunday Story from NPR's Up First podcast. The NPR app cuts through the noise, bringing you local, national, and global coverage. No paywalls, no profits, no nonsense. Download it in your app store today.
1: From your car radio to your smart speaker. NPR meets you where you are in a lot of different ways. Now we're in your pocket. Download the NPR app today.
2: Jasmine Morris here from the StoryCorps podcast. Our latest season is called My Way. Stories of people who found a rhythm all their own and marched to it throughout their lives. Consequences and other people's opinions be damned. You won't believe
1: the courage and audacity in these stories. Hear them on the StoryCorps podcast from NPR. And now joining us is Jacqueline Coley. She's the awards editor for Rotten Tomatoes. And also with us is Cal Buchanan. He's a pop culture reporter and the award season columnist for the New York Times. Thanks to you both for joining us. So Cal, this is not your first can. How does this festival compare to those of the past few years?
0: Uh, I think it's can firing on all cylinders. You know, it took a little while, as many things did, to come back from the pandemic. And the thing about CAN is, it really can't be scaled down. The whole thing about CAN is, it's maximalist. It's the biggest red carpet, the biggest stories, the biggest controversies, and films from some of the biggest directors in the world. And this year, it's really got all of those things happening. Huge headline making controversies and huge revered filmmakers making some of their best work.
1: And for those of us who've never attended Cannes, explain the layout, how a day it's sort of scheduled so that people can see all of these various films.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's pretty hectic as somebody who's trying to fit his schedule together like Tetris pieces. Uh, There's typically two really big competition premieres every day. Uh, But there's a lot of really big things that aren't even in competition here. For example, uh, Martin Scorsese's Killers of the Flower Moon. Or last night, there was a two-episode premiere of The Idol, uh, an upcoming HBO show, that had a really splashy debut. So the uh, ability to see these things is always tricky. Uh, You know, the big premieres are where you might have heard of those epic-length standing ovations. But there's also press screenings happening usually around the same time and there. You might even find booing. Those can be awfully uh, saucy. Jacqueline, how would
1: you describe the mood in Cannes?
2: Uh, cinematic feudalism, as I like to say, uh, <laughs> in the best way possible. Explain. This is the way I put it. There is a hierarchy to Cannes that is something that you can only appreciate the first time that you get here in the sense that you will literally be steps away from the most glamorous, well-connected people in Hollywood. And you will also see a French student sitting with a sign that says, do you have a ticket to the show, play mm. So it's really egalitarian in certain respects because people line up at 8 a.m. for the chance of being able to go to a Cannes premiere and they're decked out in their finery because of the um, exclusive wardrobe and um, everyone walks on the red carpet and they expect you to when you go to a gala premiere dress as if you're going to the red carpet and so again it does really harken back to a different time in certain ways because access and availability is definitely based on how many years have you been going to Cannes, which outlet that you're writing for, but the chance to literally brush elbows with the glamorous and most glitzy part of Hollywood is there for anyone if you put your ingenuity to it. So, like I say, cinematic feudalism. (laughs) Well, as I said, the festival
1: is happening against the backdrop of massive labor union protests in France and alongside a writer's strike in Hollywood that's unlikely to be resolved soon. Kyle, what are you making of this particular moment in movie-making business?
0: I mean, it's a real inflection point in a lot of ways. And during a lot of the press conferences, people have been asked about the writer's strike. Uh, Another thing that I think is is intersecting with Cannes this year is uh, treatment of and depiction of women. You know, this is always uh, an ongoing narrative in Cannes because I think more than most major film festivals, Cannes was very slow to achieve anything even resembling equitable conditions when it came to female filmmakers. We've had more of those recently. We've even had female filmmakers win the Palme d'Or, uh, you know, uh, Julia Ducournau's *To uh, recently won. Uh, but still there's a lot of controversy over things like, you know, uh, the opening night selection being Jean Duberry, starring Johnny Depp, who has not made a major Hollywood film since, uh, his bruising trial with Amber Heard, his ex-wife, and then last night's premiere of *The Idol* had a, a lot of people talking about its intense sex scenes and, and rampant female nudity. So these are these are ongoing narratives that I don't think will be resolved anytime soon.
1: Well, prior to a, to the festival, an open letter signed by 100 actors criticized Cannes organizers for letting Depp attend. Uh, Depp won a defamation suit against his ex-wife Amber Heard last year after she accused him of physical, sexual, and emotional abuse. Depp responded to the criticism in a press conference last week.
0: When you're asked to resign from a film you're doing because of something that is Merely a bunch of kind of vowels and consonants floating in the air. Um, yeah, you feel a bit boycotted. Do I feel boycotted now? No, not at all. Um, but I don't feel boycotted by Hollywood because I don't think about it. I don't think about Hollywood. <laughs> I don't uh, I don't have much further need for Hollywood myself.
1: Now, you mentioned, Kyle, the film Johnny Depp is in, Jean Dubéry, uh, the director of that film, My Win, is being sued for assault after spitting on a journalist in February. And Catherine Corsini, the director of La Retour, is facing allegations that she didn't take proper care of minors during the shooting of a sex scene in that film. Members of the crew and young actors also say they were mistreated before and during shooting. Corsini has denied wrongdoing. Jacqueline, what is it about Cannes that you have controversy and the art of filmmaker making sort of converging (laughs) in one place? Is it something specific to this festival?
2: I do think it is something very specific to this festival and it has a lot to do with the French um, establishment that it gave birth to it. I mean, this was the place where the new wave of French cinema literally said the revolution is outside. We have to end the festival. That sort of speaking truth to power and, and using the festival as an Opportunity to protest has essentially been a part of the festival for as long as we can remember, whether it be the inclusion of certain people, the depiction of certain scenes. And it is inherent to the festival more so than any other one. I would say, in the same sense of the French spirit to strike and to speak to the injustices that they feel immediately and say, we will not take this anymore, that breathes within the lifeblood of Cannes, and you can't separate it any more than you can separate the French subtitles on screen. I think. Folks know that going into it. And so what you actually see with a lot of these press conferences is the assembled crowd are expecting it. They're expecting mm-hmm. that sort of, I would say, at times confrontational querying as to where you stand on these vital issues of the world and i think in that respect it is interesting and unique and it doesn't stop people from showing up which i think is also interesting and unique to the festival
1: well how was jean Duberry received considering the controversy surrounding johnny depp and the director of the film my win um i'll come to you Kyle.
0: somewhat indifferently <laughs> to be mm. honest with you uh it's a classic can opener in that it's uh it quickly recedes from memory and is, is, you know, sort of supplanted by bigger, more prestigious films as the fest goes on. Um, you know, Johnny Depp's role in it is, while significant, uh, not he's not the protagonist. That's my Wen who directed it and cast herself as the lead. It really is sort of, you know, a vanity project for her. And it's not really Depp doing, you know, the, the character work that made him famous, although he does speak in French in it. Um but, You know, uh, to, to piggyback off of what Jacqueline was saying, I, I do think that for all those, you know, uh welcome controversies, a lot of these controversies are happening because the French film industry needs a little bit of rehabilitation. You know, that open letter really pointed out that in a lot of ways, the French film industry is still so retrograde um and still so willing to let, you know, a lot of men who have extremely checkered pasts retain the amount of power that they always have instead of facing consequences.
1: And yet, Jacqueline, people continue to show up at Cannes. So is there any uh, motivation on the part of the film festival to make any changes?
2: And I think that is the, the crux of it because I don't even think it's also the festival. It is the people that pay their bills. Mm-hmm. Let's look at some of the premier sort of uh, sponsors of this festival. This is as elite and exclusive area as you can get and so those folks feel at home with that and I hate to say that as like a, as an abdication of how awful this is but it's almost like the festival is not incentivized to it because the festival makes you very well aware from the first time you're here and this is now my sixth can that you were lucky to be there. They are very much of that mindset. They do not make it feel like the festival is there to bend to the wills of whatever is happening around it. It is the festival and you will come and be invited into their world. I do not in any way think that that is going to be something that they're going to be able to continue in modern filmmaking as it is such a progressive art form to begin with. It is always challenging both the audiences and the filmmakers to do more and be more. But for right now, they seem thoroughly ensconced in their ways. And despite I would say, rapturous calls from the assembled masses to change that. Um, I will add, to to what you were saying about Jean de Berry. We have a, a canned scorecard that... Uh, aggregates the sentiments of each of the films here at Cannes and and ranks them from top to bottom. And jean Duberry is very far on the bottom of that list. And so, again, there's just better things, I think, for folks to focus on. And there's always films that are exceptional and groundbreaking that usually drown out these controversies. And a few months when folks start to see the films that have premiered here... It's going to be a distant memory about what folks were gossiping, or I should say, uh, gossiping and or calling out on the red carpet. And some of these films will live on for forever. I mean, folks forget, I believe the same year as Parasite was the same year that they did the Women on the Steps uh, protest, or at least the year after. There's always going to be those two things sort of happening side by side. As we mentioned,
1: director Martin Scorsese made his return to the festival for the first time since 1986. His movie, Killers of the Flower Moon, was one of the most anticipated features of the event. The movie centers around the murders of several Native American oil tycoons in the 1920s. Here's what the film's star, Leonardo DiCaprio, had to say about the premiere over the weekend. It felt like a very important moment, especially how the Osage community embraced us telling this story, gave us the trust in our adaptation of the novel and to have them here with us side by side to tell such a, a a personal tragedy to their entire community was it was a beautiful moment it's and i just took a lot of mental pictures it was something that i'm never never going to forget And we should mention the film is an adaptation of the book Killers of the Flower Moon, the Osage Murders and the Birth of the FBI by David Gran. Jacqueline, the three and a half hour long movie received a 10 minute standing ovation from audiences in Cannes. What did you think of the film?
2: Um, I honestly felt the film is brilliant filmmaking. It's Martin Scorsese. And it is, again, one of the highest rated films on our (laughs) scorecard over there. So I think critics and audiences so far have well agreed. Um, The standing ovation with with something like Martin Scorsese for that moment, the 10 minutes is remarkable. But a lot of that is for Martin Scorsese returning to Cannes with an incredible film that folks have been waiting on because he got about an eight-minute standing ovation just for walking in the door. <laughs> so I'm not trying to take anything away from the 10-minute standing ovation because it was remarkable, and it is definitely one of the most uh, well-reviewed films of the festival. But I always tell people to approach films like this with caution because of the star power mm-hmm. that filmmakers like him and Quentin Tarantino and Spike Lee, and when they walk into the Croset, it is like the Beatles in the, the height of Beatlemania. There is a a vibe. There was people lining up for Killers of a Flower Moon for five hours at the chance of getting a ticket. Several people turned away. Um, I would say it is... Similar to when I saw What's My Time in Hollywood here a few years ago, it was that same vibe of like the presence of this person can often outshadow the film. But the film is incredible. The story of it is remarkable. But more so than Leonardo DiCaprio, Lily Gladstone, who stars in it, who Kyle did an incredible video of her standing ovation at the end of the night and her having her moment. She is someone who I just believe the gates of Hollywood should open up to because her performance is absolutely riveting. She was to see that performance by an Indigenous actress, to have that moment, it, it must have felt like what it felt like to be in the audience when you know, Singleton brought his first film, when, when Do the Right Thing came, when Menace to Society came. This is a moment of not just representation, but of cinema and telling a really incredible story. And also shout out to Jesse Plemons, who yet again is probably going to walk his way to an Oscar playing the, the smart guy in the room mm. <laughs> towards the end of the tale.
1: Well, speaking about... Indigenous representation, Kyle. There's been a lot of of buzz around how Indigenous voices and perspectives were included in the making of this film. Uh, tell us about how Scorsese approached making Killers of the Flower Moon.
0: Basically, because of those perspectives, he revised the entire thing. You know, it's based on a, a nonfiction book by David Grant that basically treats the whole story as a mystery, as an investigation: who's killing the Osage? What what is their motivation? Uh, The film does away with that. We don't really get to see that investigation through the eyes of that FBI lawman until the very end. Instead, it really plants us with not only those Osage characters, including the woman played by Lily Gladstone, but DiCaprio and De Niro, who are the two white men perpetrating this massacre. You know, we, we were privy to those crimes. And because of that, the movie takes on a completely different sort of tone where it isn't about unraveling a mystery, but unraveling, you know, the, the mysteries or, or maybe the, the, the sadly apparent reasons that would drive these men, these greedy white men to plunder uh, the fortunes of, of this uh, native American tribe that had made a lot of money uh, through oil. Um, you know, Scorsese attributed it to white supremacy. When I spoke to him, you know, he he's, He's very clear-eyed about what motivates that. And I think because of the Osage input, uh, it's a stronger, tougher film.
1: We're discussing the Cannes Film Festival. When we come back, we discuss some of this year's contenders for the festival's biggest prize, the Palme d'Or. Plenty more still ahead. Stay with us.
2: Pro-Palestinian protests have popped up on college campuses across the country, But from the eyes of students, what are we missing?
1: From the outside, these protests are painted as really violent when that couldn't be further from the truth. I'm Brittany Luce, host of NPR's It's Been a Minute, and I'm inviting you to hear from student journalists who see what the rest of us cannot. On It's Been a Minute from
2: NPR. On It's Been a Minute, we're keeping you in the know when it comes to culture. I break down the latest trends and the forces behind them and introduce you to the creatives who think deeply about how we live today. Come for some good old cultural analysis and have a few laughs with me. Listen to the It's Been a Minute podcast from NPR. Summer is for going to the movie theater because it's too hot to stay home. It's for driving with the windows down, listening to your favorite music. It's for stretching out while you're on vacation to gobble up a TV show. For a guide to some of the TV, movies, and music we are most excited about this summer, listen to the Pop Culture Happy Hour podcast from NPR.
1: Do you ever wish you could get your stories in three hours rather than three minutes? Or maybe you're sick of doom scrolling. Getting your news in bits and pieces. That is where Embedded comes in. We bring you documentary series that will change the way you think about things. Find us wherever you get your podcasts. Let's get back to the conversation with these recommendations we got from some of you. I have two foreign film recommendations. The first is the 1990 film Europa, Europa, directed by Agnieszka Holland. She's a Polish director. It's loosely based on a true story. Uh, It's about a Jewish boy during Nazi Germany who poses as a German orphan in order to avoid capture and he must join the Hitler Youth. It's suspenseful, it's sad, it's such a satisfyingly good movie and it has subtitles. My second recommendation is Strictly Ballroom, a 1990 film directed by Baz Luhrmann and his directorial debut. It's an Australian comedy. It's over the top with the costumes and the dancing and the dialogue. It's a lot of fun. It has a very sweet pot. And a very good message, too, that a life lived in fear is a life half-lived. Patty, thanks for those recommendations. And yes, Strictly Ballroom is one of my favorite movies. I revisit it at least once or twice a year. Kyle, one of your favorite films from this year's festival is also centered around the Holocaust, though. It's called The Zone of Interest, and it's directed by Jonathan Glazer. Tell us more about it.
0: Yeah, it's, uh, as you said, a film by Jonathan Glazer, who hasn't made a movie in 10 years. His last film was the Scarlett Johansson sci-fi movie uh, Under the Skin, a movie that's really like no other. And this one is as well. Uh, It's uh, a very unnerving uh, film about a family. uh, The father is a Nazi commandant who live right next door to Auschwitz and build what they consider to be their dream home. It's about compartmentalizing uh, in the face of fascism, you know, the ability for horrors to be visited on your literal neighbors, um, you know, and, and these people are willing to do it if it gets them ahead. Uh, it's, it's, it's something that I'm still thinking about and trying to sort out.
1: Well, let's head back to our voicemail box for a few more film recommendations from you.
0: Hey, this is Scott from Oberlin, Ohio, and I have a documentary recommendation. It's an Irish film titled Atomic Hope, and it follows a bunch of young folks that have looked at the clean energy transition situation and have come to the conclusion that uh, nuclear power has got to be part of the mix. Anything from Studio Ghibli is a good choice. Spirited Away and Howl's Moving Castle
1: are both wonderful, beautiful, essentially fairy tales that are well worth a watch. Thanks for those. Well, while Killers of the Flower Moon isn't competing for the Palme d'Or, one film that is is Wes Anderson's Asteroid City. How long can they keep us in Asteroid City? Legally, I mean... Well, I'm not an
2: attorney, but I'd say as long as they like. I think we'd have to file an injunction and successfully argue the case six months to a year. Of course, we'd also need to initiate a civil suit for a loss of and income. Maybe we should just walk out right now. I'm not sure they could stop us without killing somebody. Interesting idea. No, what kind of mileage do you think that jetpack gets?
1: You ask Roger or his son. Apparently he's been prosecuted for revealing state secrets. I'll never make it stick.
0: I'm in no hurry. I like the desert. I
1: like aliens. Okay, Cal, kind of hard to figure out what this movie is about. Tell us about it.
0: Uh, I'll know more in about an hour when I go to the premiere, but from the trailer, it looks like, uh, you know, it's Wes Anderson doing his Wessie thing. Uh, it's about uh, the convergence of a whole bunch of uh, young, geeky children who uh, are curious about... You know, astronomy and outer space, they all converge in Mexico with their parents, their families, and then are trapped there when there's some sort of alien sighting. Uh, I'm very curious about it. You know, a lot of Wes Anderson films have premiered at Cannes. Uh, This is one of his favorite festivals. I I talked to him last week, asked him, you know, what is it about Cannes that makes you want to go? And he's like, it's the cinema history. You know, it's those films, those Scorsese films, those Tarantino films, those Godard films. You want to be a part of it
1: is Wes Anderson's Asteroid City. Now, this year's Cannes is historic for African cinema. The festival is screening films from across the continent, uh, including from Tunisia, Senegal, Algeria, Morocco, Sudan, and Cameroon. Two films by African directors are competing for that top prize, the Palme d'Or. That's Four Daughters, from Tunisian director Catherine Benhania, and Banel and Adama, from Senegalese French filmmaker Ramada Toulesi. Jacqueline, what does this recognition signal about the future of African films on the world stage?
2: Well, it actually is a bigger signal about cinema right now, because as a lot of people are talking about how cinema is in peril, especially in Western and North American audiences, Africa and Southeast Asia are two of the most vibrant areas for young film fans. And they are trying to invest not only with film festivals, but also invitations to film festivals to really give life to the already thriving African cinema population, but throughout the various nations within Africa. We have Nollywood. would. We have South Africa, but they're really trying to permeate the entire continent with cinema. And so an invitation to the Cannes Film Festival for these uh, filmmakers, I think it's just an extension of that. Because as much as Cannes is a French festival, they really do pride themselves as a hub, a very big part of the wheel of international cinema. I mean, a lot of the big deals that are happening for international distribution happen here at Cannes.
1: Now, some critics say the selections prioritize French-speaking African countries, which isn't representative of the entire continent's population. How does the festival approach which films get shown there?
2: I mean, that is the that is the real, real question. I have talked to a lot of festival programmers and I have spoken to the folks here at the Cannes Film Festival and they all are not very explicit on the various sort of factions, especially when you're talking about, hey, who didn't make the cut? But when they look at it, you have to think of a festival program as more of a soup where each ingredient is meant to complement each other and less so we're just picking the top 20 films that we liked the best. It is really, they try to make a sampling, they try to make a festival program that when you look at it on the outside you can find themes within the filmmakers you can find things that audiences when they watch these films will be able to say hey this is what filmmakers at this time are speaking to these are what they are passionate about and this is how they're choosing to represent that on screen and Wes Anderson to piggyback off what Kyle said is aware of that is the reason why folks always come to Cannes is because now they are part of this cinematic history they are part of the moment of record and whether or not you win the Palme Dior, being there, knowing which members of the jury were evaluating it, and sort of seeing where the end of your prizes align based off of that is something that you can't really experience outside of this film festival in a a select few others. It's
1: really fascinating looking at the the range of films being shown at Cannes. Another highly anticipated film is the fifth installment of the Indiana Jones series. It stars Harrison Ford and the franchise's namesake role. And this is a spot he's held on to for more than four decades. Kyle, how is that picture being received?
0: I wish it had been a little better. Yeah. <laughs> okay, it, okay. It, it disappoints me to say so. Um, I think it got somewhat mixed reviews, you know. The studio was hoping for a launch akin to Top Gun Maverick here last year, you know, that same play of nostalgia, of, you know, hits the spot blockbuster filmmaking. Um, What they did get, um, despite, you know, quibbles about the directing and the scripting, is a really moved Harrison Ford, you know. I think he has this persona as kind of like a gruff guy, but here it can... He teared up at the standing ovation. He was tearing up well before it started, and he spoke very passionately about, you know, the sort of um, vulnerable way that he has met this festival and felt like he was appreciated here.
1: Karen emails, I discovered foreign films via Netflix. I took a chance and watched one and immediately loved it. I especially love the movies from India. Netflix opened up a whole new world for me in film. You know, some people would argue argue that in the age of streaming, the influence of film festivals like Cannes is diluted. Jacqueline, what's the case for continuing this festival or or others like it?
2: Well, I think, again, that is a narrower approach. I think people assume the types of films that come to the Cannes Film Festival. I and mean, we are we are literally under three years, I think, in a row where the Palm d'Or winning film was at least nominated for Best Picture at the Cannes Film Festival. And then at least recent memory uh Parasite one oh I'm sorry, I take that back. Uh Tatane did not get a Best Picture nomination, but Triangle of Sadness, which won the Palm d'Or did. There have been several instances of those films winning other Oscar prizes. They are always going to be relative in the sense that they are still something that people like Wes Anderson and like Morton Scorsese and like Leonardo DiCaprio value. And as long as the institutions within Hollywood value them and they are seen as a way to sort of further your career, they will always be part of it. As much as people talk about Cannes weighing in interest, it seems every year some of the biggest stories of last year happened at film festivals. We're talking the Don't Worry Darling and the Venice Film Festival. We're talking about, you know, sort of the insanity that will probably happen if, for say, maybe a movie like Dune goes there later this year. Last year, Tom Cruise was feted at the festival, and he was, a you know, again, somebody that the entire uh, city of Cannes sort of opened themselves up to. So I think what is different is... I think now it is much more about the presence of Cannes Film Festival. It's about the fashion. It's about the spectacle. It's not necessarily always going to be about each individual film that is premiering there. They're not all going to get that prize. But I think all eyes are still turned here. The headlines for films like The Idol really sort of prove that. Mm.
1: Kyle, I'm wondering about some of the conversations you're hearing at the festival. When we talk about the Hollywood writer strike, one of the big issues for those writers is the presence of AI and how that could potentially change screenwriting. What are you hearing around that?
0: I think this is the sort of festival where you want to have those conversations because you only get in the can if you're inspired. You know, there's a lot of uh, Hollywood executives who would love to use AI. You don't have to pay it. You can just generate some sort of formula. But the thing that that AI lacks is inspiration, you know? The thing that that AI lacks is that idea, that that extra bit of artistry That distinguishes a movie in an era where there's so much content. You have to be unique if you want to stand out these days. And that's what these filmmakers have in spades that AI just simply can't replicate.
1: Well, we heard from Yvonne, who has some recommendations. I have so many, but here are three. Departures is a Japanese film subtitled about fear of living and the beauty we can find in the journey of the departed. The Rapture is a truly stunning movie about what we believe. And Made in Heaven is a gorgeous love story about possibilities. So the festival is more than halfway over. Just a few films are left to be screened. I I think you, Kyle, said that your favorite was May, December. Any other films really standing out to you right now?
0: I love Zone of Interest. Um, I thought that was terrific. Um, uh, Benel and Adama, which you mentioned earlier, is really well done. Uh, And I have high hopes. There's still so much to go. You know, I'm seeing the Wes Anderson film tonight. Uh, and then there's some films to come from directors who've won the Palme d'Or before. You know, uh, Ken Loach's The Old Oak, Vim Venders Perfect Days. So there's a lot, a lot more coming. Uh, I'm excited for those movies. And I'm also excited to maybe, hypothetically, get some sleep at some point. <laughs> Jacqueline, what about for you? Any standouts?
2: Uh, Other than May, December, and then also Zone of Interest, Anatomy of a Fall, which I'm a girl that's a sucker for a courtroom procedural. This is one where there is a horrendous fall, and they're trying to dissect whether there was foul play or whether or not it was an accident. It's another one that I loved. And also, Corrieta was back at the festival with his new film, Monster, which I also really enjoyed. Well, lots of films for us to look forward to
1: when they're finally released. In the meantime, Terry emails, I highly recommend Cinema Paradiso, a 1988 Italian film that's been described as bold, bittersweet, and nostalgic. It's garnered 90% from Rotten Tomatoes and has been a favorite of mine since it premiered. So that one you can see whenever you want. We've been talking to Jacqueline Coley. She's the awards editor for Rotten Tomatoes and Kyle Buchanan. He's a pop culture reporter and the awards season columnist for the New York Times. Jacqueline, Kyle, thanks so much. I hope you both get some rest in the coming days. Today's producer was Lauren Hamilton. This program comes to you from WAMU, part of American University in Washington, distributed by NPR. I'm Jen White. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk again tomorrow. This is 1A.
0: I'm Jesse Thorne. Why did Cola Scola write a bonkers, extremely fictionalized play about Mary Todd Lincoln? Well, you know, it was 2020 and we were all so isolated. I I just started doing research. uh, But the truth is, no, I just thought of it. We'll talk about that and more on Bullseye for MaximumFun.org and NPR.
2: Hey, I hear you have a birthday coming up. Yeah, you. If you're listening to this, that means you have a birthday coming up eventually. And here at LifeKit, we want it to be a special one.
0: Magic can happen and good luck can happen and serendipity can happen if we're open to it. How to have a good birthday, even if you're
2: not a birthday person. That's on the Life Kit podcast from NPR.